a teenage genius that started a $14 billion gold rush, computer cowboys, bandits, and block train robbery. These are the Wild West stories of Ethereum. Welcome to another episode of the Fool's Gold Podcast. I'm Ryan, the Crypto Fool, and on the other line, we have Brian for our more traditional markets. Brian, how's it going today? Good, good. All-time highs for the stock market today, so can't be happier. Santa Claus rally. <laughs> is that a thing? Is it, like a, is it known to rally <laughs> in December? Yeah, yeah. Um, Usually it, uh, you know... The month of December or last few weeks kind of just melts up a little bit higher, um, but we'll we'll see if that happens this year. Interesting. Yeah, I'm glad at least the stocks are doing well. Crypto is is losing momentum a little bit, and so it's a uh, little little discouraging on my end. But um, I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying some it, Santa time. It, it it it's healthy, right? Pullbacks are healthy, Ryan. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're not healthy if I'm losing money. Uh, so, so today uh, we're going to talk about Ethereum, and uh, Ethereum is one of my favorite cryptos. Uh, it, it's it's uh, should be pretty well known to people, or the second largest coin. And so I wanted to do just a little bit of brief introduction of what it is, because a couple of the stories that I'm going to share related to Ethereum, you kind of need to have some kind of an understanding of what it is. So. Um, just jumping right in, Ethereum is is kind of like Bitcoin in a way. We talked about Bitcoin a couple weeks ago, but it's it's only a lot more than Bitcoin. So with Bitcoin, it's you know, it, it's a way to send payment to someone, uh, like a way to pay someone with cash, but digitally, right? So it's kind of limited to what you can do with Bitcoin. With Ethereum, uh, it it runs on what are called smart contracts which are like little mini programs. Uh, I've heard it described, I've heard smart contracts described as digital vending machines where you you put your money in, in a vending machine, you make your selection of what item you want, some little snack item, and then the vending machine will automatically process your money, it knows how much you put in, it recognizes what your selection was, and then it gives you your snack automatically. So. Ethereum kind of has these digital vending machines, or they're basically in computer talk. They're they're like programs, where you can put in some input, and then it does some stuff automatically, and then you get an output. Uh, kind of simplistically how it is. And so the main point of it is that you can build applications on Ethereum. So it's more than just being able to transfer money like Bitcoin. You can do so much more. You can build an entire application on top of the blockchain. So you have the benefits of building on blockchain, and uh, you can you can do so much more with an application like that uh, in some aspects, depending on what you want to build. So the, the, the main thing, though, is that once you launch your smart contract, once you make it public for people to use, you can't really change it. So once you put it out to the public, whatever it is, it stays like that. This is why Ethereum 2.0, which you may have heard me talk about on this podcast before, which just went live um, last week, uh, the very first beginnings of Ethereum 2.0, a brand new upgrade. It's been in the work for years, and they've been working on it, um, I think I think basically since 2015 when they launched Ethereum, but it's all because the code has to be perfect. It goes through a ton of auditing and they, they they scan it for bugs and holes, loopholes, whatever, 
to make sure that it's perfect. This isn't like Apple where they can, you know, throw a throw an update at you and maybe it ruins your device because they didn't fully test it or anything, and then they can send out another update to fix their bugs. This has to be perfect before it launches. Uh, and so that's kind of the idea behind Ethereum and smart contracts is whatever you send out there, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be great. And so a lot of the stories that are related that I'm going to share are related to that concept. Okay. So you ready, Brian? Yeah. Quick question with that. So yep. if let's say that somebody does create an app and uh, they put it on Ethereum and it is there is some issues with it. Do they just have to start it over from scratch and just let that one be, or what happens to the old one? Yes. So we th- th- we'll have some stories about that. But uh, <laughs> okay. the, the short answer is basically just got to let it be. And so okay. there can be some bad consequences because of that. <laughs> some foreshadowing. Some foreshadowing. That's right. <laughs> so our story begins back in 2013 with a 19-year-old boy named Vitalik Buterin. And this this kid, Vitalik, he had some interest in Bitcoin. He started getting into cryptocurrency from his dad. He, want, he, he liked Bitcoin, but he felt like it was limited. He wanted it to do more. And so he went and publishes a, a white paper, the white paper for Ethereum. If you're not familiar with the white paper, it's basically a, a paper that lays out kind of the vision for the cryptocurrency. Like, what is the technology that is needed uh, for that project? Uh, what are the goals for the project? That kind of thing. Um, so he writes out the white paper for Ethereum. He has this, this, you know, this vision of what he wants it to look like. Other developers read it and they start hopping on board because they like the idea of Ethereum. Again, it's like Bitcoin, but you can actually build applications and do so much more with it. So that's in 2013. Uh, skip forward about a year later, and Vitalik and the other developers felt like they had a good enough idea of what they were working with. They still didn't have the project done, but they felt like it was close enough where they could start asking for money. And so they do this large-scale token sale where they start selling the Ethereum token uh, to the public. And it started out at a cost of $0.30 cents per token. In the first 12 hours they sold $2.2 million worth of tokens. And so wow. just a quick recap of what's going on here. Right? This is 2014. So, so Bitcoin has been around for about five years now. Uh, but crypto is still largely unknown. It's still largely not trusted. Most of the other cryptocurrency projects that have been created since Bitcoin were failures or they uh, weren't really doing much. They're kind of useless. Or a lot of them were scams. And in fact, um, this kind of token sale that Ethereum was doing, it's called a pre-mine. Every token sale before this had been a scam and robbing people of millions of dollars. But Ethereum comes along and they're like, you know, we can still convince people that we're legit and people should still invest in us, right? So, I mean, it must have have worked because they they got (laughs) over a million dollars pretty quickly. But I I want to take you into the mind of someone who was actually there in that token sale. Uh, this, is from, uh, uh, an, this is an excerpt from a book called The Infinite Machine by Camilla Russ- Rousseau. I should know how to say her name. But I think she's a pretty big crypto journalist. Um, anyways, it's, a guy, it's an account of a guy named Ken. We'll just call him Ken. So Ken had heard about Ethereum. He was kind of familiar with cryptocurrency. 
and uh, he knew that there was some risks to it. Uh, first of all, this project was not even a working project yet, right? It was still being created by this now 20-year-old kid, Vitalik, and some computer hackers that had joined him. And they're pitching it out to people to invest in this project that is totally unproven. And on top of that, you have to buy these Ethereum tokens with Bitcoin. And the thing with Bitcoin transactions, they are irreversible. So there's no refunds. So as soon as you decide to send them your Bitcoin, it's gone. And uh, you better hope that it, it wasn't a scam that you sent your Bitcoin to, right? And so this guy, Ken, this is, I'm just going to read um, his thoughts. This is straight from the book. He went to the ethereum.org white and gray website. At the center was the amount of Ether sold so far. To the left of that number was the amount of days left in the sale. And to the right was the amount of days left at the current price. An interface that not so subtly said, hurry up and give us your Bitcoin. Below those numbers was a black button that said, buy Ether. So Brian, I want to take a break from the story real quick. What do you do? If you're in his situation, do you click buy for this project (laughs) that isn't even live yet? It has no sales, no no revenue, really no business model, no business plan. Everything before this had been scams. What do you do, Brian? I would definitely not do it, especially this, the wording of it. It sounds like a <laughs> clickbait, you know, like scam. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, so I, at this point, I'm, I'm, may, I'm a maybe. I would maybe put in a little bit just because of the potential. But yeah, it, it does definitely seem sketchy. So let, maybe like a couple hundred Bitcoin. That's all, right? A couple hundred Bitcoin, right, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trump change. Sure. So, so uh, don't don't worry though. The, the story gets sketchier. Okay. okay. So his heart. It's the back to the book. It says his heart beat faster, and he had no idea what to expect when he clicked buy ether. A new page. He clicks it. A new page with a three-step process appears. Step one: enter the amount to purchase in either Bitcoin or ether. Okay. So you type in the amount that you want to buy. Step two. Type in your email address. Okay, so type in your email address. Okay. Step three, create a passphrase that would be used to encrypt and access his wallet. So at this time, it's kind of getting, whoa, okay, what's going on? Uh, okay, a, a wallet, I, I guess that makes sense. They need my email address. He clicked, uh, he made sure everything was correct, clicked continue. Step four, tells him to move his mouse around the screen to generate a random wallet. And once you're done, you'll be moved on to the next screen. So at this point, I would be thinking, what does my mouse have anything to do with me buying Ethereum? Like, why am I waving my mouse around the screen? Okay. So anyway, so he does that. He, he wiggles his mouse around the screen, generates a random wallet. Uh, and then uh, it says, uh, anyway, so he was confused, you know, kind of sketched out, right? Uh, he even thought to himself, this is so weird. But he went ahead and did it. And it says his anxiety surging when he realized there was no back button. No point. He's past the point of no return. Next, he clicked on a button that downloaded an Ethereum wallet to his computer. And then there was a Bitcoin wallet address and a QR code for him to send his Bitcoin to and, and all this stuff. And it's getting, I mean, you have to really understand crypto to understand. This is, this is kind of complicated stuff. It probably sounds complicated. 
Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, he, he, he fills out all these wallet addresses and stuff that you need to do. And, and it's important because if you mess up one little letter or number in a wallet address, you could send your Bitcoin to a completely different address and your Bitcoin will be gone forever. Um, but, you know, after all, if Ethereum was a scam, his Bitcoin would be gone forever anyways. So anyways, so Brian, hearing all that, are you any more convinced to click buy? Not at all. Okay. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I'm like flushing my money down the toilet by this point. Right. Yeah. For me, once I start wiggling my mouse around, I'm out. I'm just, I'm closing my browser, <laughs> turning off my computer, hoping that uh, I didn't mess something up, didn't get a malware, malware on my computer. <laughs> Anyways, Ken bought some. And he's probably quite wealthy now for having bought Ethereum at 30 cents per token. Uh, the current price is around $600 of Ethereum. So anyway, uh, that, that token sale lasts for two weeks. Uh, they end up generating $18 million, which I think was one of the biggest crowd funds at the time. That 60 million Ether was sold. So that's a lot of money. So again, just to, just to recap what just happened. So this is, this is a project with no business model, no business plan, no product, no users, no revenue. It's a project that's being spearheaded by a 20-year-old and some computer hackers, um, as well as some other random developers, uh, and yet they got $18 million in two weeks to go forward with this plan. Uh, also, I forgot to mention, you don't get your tokens until the project actually goes live, and you don't know when it's going to go live. <laughs> so uh, people started getting a little concerned uh, after you know six months went by, no project launch. Eight months, 10 months went by, no product launch. Finally, about a year later, July 2015, Ethereum officially launched. And that's when people could finally access those tokens that they sketchily bought a year before. Okay. So that is the story of the pre-mine of Ethereum. But, but, but the story that comes next I find interesting because it kind of builds on, okay, so we have this Ethereum project. We can build applications. Now what? You know, it's like having um, it's like having the app store with no apps, right? What good is an app store with no apps? And so, so that's where Ethereum was uh, when Christoph Jens, I don't know how to say his name, he's German, he comes up with this idea of what's called a DAO, a D-A-O, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. This is one of the first applications, one of the first uh, yeah, applications of Ethereum that really excited people because they saw some potential. So, so what the DAO is, is basically, again, it's decentralized, meaning there's no central power governing it. There's no company that runs it. It's autonomous, meaning computer code is going to handle everything. It's all going to happen automatically. Money can be transferred back and forth automatically depending on certain conditions, etc. cetera, uh, more than just money. And then it's an organization. So it's kind of like an equivalent of a, like a corporation today where you just have a group of people that are working together uh, to organize some project. Anyway, so this is the DAO. So this guy, Christoph, he, he got so obsessed with crypto, he actually abandoned his, he was in the middle of a physics PhD program, Abandon all that to go work on crypto, and he started this project of creating the DAO. 
And so, so the idea behind the DAO, the main goal behind it, was to create an organization where anyone could pitch an idea for a project that they want to work on. So like some startup or whatever, they can pitch it to the DAO. And uh, anyone can belong to the DAO if you own at least one DAO token. So they issued these tokens, and all you have to do is buy at least one token, and then you're part of the DAO. And that means you have, you're part of this, this governing organization where you can vote on projects, you can give your input on what happens because you own a part of the organization. You are part of the founders, so-called founders of the organization, if you own at least one token. Uh, and the more tokens you own, the more weight you have when it comes to voting. Anyway, th- those details aren't super important for the story, but but it was such an exciting idea for the community because they realized here's an a- application for Ethereum uh, that could actually be useful. You're creating some entity that that is is free from company um, company regulations and it's, it can actually be run by the people for the people. So people started joining Christoph to help build this DAO. And they worked on it for almost a year. And then they had thousands of people joining. So thousands of people were wanting to be a part of the DAO. And it was poised to be uh, one of the first big proofs uh, of Ethereum's usefulness as a technology. So they decided to go for, again, similar to Ethereum, they do kind of a a token sale. Uh, But they raise $150 million dollars. And uh, that, that at that time was the biggest crowdfunded project ever. And uh, so people were pouring into the DAO because they loved the idea of being able to be a part of something like this. The problem was, after it was launched, they, did, they failed to recognize an error uh, in the code on line 666. That should be a red flag. You should always check line number 666 for errors in your code. Anyways... So some bad stuff happened because of that single error uh, in the code. About a month after launching the DAO, Christoph woke up to find that the DAO was bleeding out millions of dollars. It was about eight millions of dollars, eight million dollars per sec- per hour, were being um, sent out of the DAO, and and all he could do was lay on the ground and watch that money trickle away. So this is what you're talking about. Your question: What happens if there's an error in the code after it launches, you can't do much. You kind of just have to watch, watch it happen, because where, where the, was the money going? So the money was being sent out to uh, some some private uh, address. This hacker, th- there was a hacker that had hacked into the DAO and was siphoning out millions of dollars. He had found a loophole on line six six six. Anyways, uh. so uh, there's a small white hat hacker group so some good guy hackers um they formed they, they saw what was happening and they banded together and they called themselves the robin hood group uh and uh there's a couple of hackers that spanned actually across the globe and they were determined to try and save the dow and so this this part gets really weird so basically they had a short window of time they decided they were going to also hack into the dow and steal whatever money was left to keep the hacker from stealing everything. 
and uh, okay. and and then of course they since they're good guy hackers they would give it back to the people uh, once all this got sorted out, and so they had a short window of time to get it hacked uh, before they would be locked out. Um, kind of complicated how that works. Anyways, so so what happened was the Robinhood group went to initiate their counter attack, this hack, and the guy who was supposed to initiate it, his internet goes out and he loses connection. And he only has 30 minutes left before this window closes where they have to hack into the DAO or else they won't be able to for a couple days. And he's frantically trying to get his internet running again so he can initiate the counter hack. Uh, but the, his, to no avail, the internet doesn't come back on and they miss their window to do a counter hack. Well, what's crazy is, for whatever reason, the hackers stopped draining the DAO after about $55 million. So after he had stolen... Oh, that's it? Yeah, right. So after he had stolen $55 million, <laughs> I, I don't know why, he stopped for whatever reason. And uh, so everyone just kind of sat around and was like, well, is what, what's going on? Is he going to come back and steal more? I mean, there is a lot more money in there. Um, he only took about a third of it. Anyway, four days later, the hacker does come back. And he starts draining the Dow again. Uh, but this time, the Robin Hood group, the good guy hackers, they're ready for it. And they initiate their counter hacking. And so then they immediately steal the rest of the DAO. So the other 70% or whatever that he didn't take before. So they steal the rest of the money in the DAO. And then the Robin hoodlums, as I call them, the good guy hackers, they sent out a message to the DAO community in all caps. They typed it out saying, the DAO is being securely drained. Do not panic. Because, of course, when you want people to not panic, you type in all caps locks and say, do not panic with an exclamation mark. And you also tell people that you're stealing their money, but it's okay. Anyways, <laughs> so they successfully drained the rest of the DAO. So hopefully that money was safe from this hacker. Uh, but still, he stole $55 million, right? So, I mean, he still still got away with a lot. Jeez. Here, here, here's the, the, the saving grace to the story. This Christoph guy who wrote the, uh, who is the original designer of the DAO, he put in, uh, he put a piece in the code that specified that any money that is withdrawn from the DAO automatically goes into a holding account for 34 days. So I don't know if the hacker knew about this or not, but when he withdrew the $55 million, he could not touch it or do anything with it for 34 days. So, you know, that's like some guy robbing a bank with this genius plan, and he, he has his bags of money that he's stolen. He's running to the getaway car, and he goes to start up the getaway car and, and realizes, oh, shoot, I forgot to fill up on gas. So he has to just sit in his car with the bags of money and uh, twiddle his thumbs, I guess. So that stolen money is just was just sitting in this account waiting to be moved, waiting for the 34 days to expire. And uh, so luckily that gave the Ethereum community time to come up with a plan and to figure out what they were going to do to solve this. And so in comes our buddy Vitalik. Uh, at this point, he's 21 or so years old, so he's, he's much older and wiser. But he comes in to lead the Ethereum community, uh, it kind of gives out some of the options, and he convinces the majority of the Ethereum community to basically update Ethereum. And like we mentioned before, it's hard to do this on a blockchain. It's hard to just update a blockchain 
It's basically impossible. It's supposed to be basically impossible. But Vitalik knew of this loophole. And so basically they, they initiated what's called a hard fork, where kind of like when two two roads diverge in a wood, wherever that poem goes, um, it's, it's like a fork in the road, right? And so the blockchain yeah. could either go down one fork or the other fork. And so they initiate this fork, force the network to update um, where they can essentially erase this this hack. They can make it so as if this, ha- this hack never happened. Everyone can get their money back and we can just go forward on this new fork, just you know, learn from this mistake and move on. And so that happened. Right. The, the network uh, updated, they moved on. Problem solved. Except that the idea behind this fork uh, basically erasing a mistake made on the blockchain goes against the core foundation of cryptocurrency. The whole idea behind crypto, the whole idea behind Bitcoin is that every transaction is written in stone. It's unalterable, it's irreversible, and that's how it's meant to be. And so essentially what they did was Ethereum bypassed that core principle of cryptocurrency and they undid this transaction, this hack. And so it made some people very mad because they thought that Ethereum was sacrificing its principles to uh, give people their money back. And so these people that were mad insisted on ignoring this fork and keeping the rest of those network computers on the original blockchain. So on that original path. Uh, and so they, kept, they, they established their own community on this original blockchain and renamed it Ethereum Classic. So maybe you've heard of Ethereum Classic. It's a different cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, and so Ethereum Classic is basically that original chain ignoring the fork that happened. And so the catch with that is that means on that original blockchain, the hack still happened, which means that the hacker suddenly found himself with those 3.6 million coins that he had stolen. It, it was revived and he had them again. The only the only catch was this time is it wasn't in Ethereum. Now on this original blockchain, the the coin is the token is Ethereum Classic, so it's a slightly different token, but he still has 3.6 million coins of this Ethereum Classic coin. It's just interesting how uh, these people who are so purist and how we, they felt a cryptocurrency cryptocurrency should be, they made sure that this blockchain stayed alive so that this hacker could have a big payday anyway they created a monster yeah from their their past mistakes has ethereum classic done anything is it like a is it pretty popular well i mean it's it's around it's nowhere near as popular as ethereum um the price okay so ethereum classic is currently at 575 per token five dollars 75 cents compared to ethereum 600 So there is some value to Ethereum Classic, but uh, not nearly as much. But to this day, there are still some investors that I have seen on Twitter that swear by Ethereum Classic because they feel like that is the pure form of Ethereum. And uh, it's like it's like a religion. Yeah, right. Have any other sex? You know, break off from it. Yep, exactly. And and all of this happened because on that line of code in the DAO. Uh, whoever wrote it, I assume Christoph, but whoever actually wrote that code on, on that line, they used a capital T instead of a lowercase t. And that made all the difference. This hack wouldn't have been possible, I guess, if they had just put a lowercase t. 
So no that's, way. that's what I've read about it. I, I'm no, I'm no, I have not studied Attention the code the myself. Detail. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I've got a couple questions for you. Okay. So one of the big overall themes of Ethereum, at least from my perspective, is there's a lot of speculation that is existing in these stories. Some huge speculation, a lot of which is too much for me, but obviously was the right amount for other people and they made a lot of money or they lost a lot of money. So how do you view speculation's place in the investment world? Well, so right now I feel like there's too much of it going on in the stock market at least. Uh, It's definitely not healthy in my eyes with all like the different, which we've talked about, like the SPACs and the IPOs and like the EV, you know, electrical, electric vehicle hype. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's getting a little out of hand. I, I mean, there's a few, if, if there's a few companies that people are specula- speculating on, I get it, but there are so many out there right now. But regardless of what's going on, broadly speaking, I'm personally okay with doing some speculative investing. And I've heard some people say that speculation is you know it's not really investing it's gambling which i think that's dumb because i mean if you think about it aren't all investments technically a gamble <laughs> right. you know, you're taking right. a chance or a risk on a result that no one can predict and we only have history as a guide so i'm okay with speculating on something that doesn't have like a history but I would say only with a dollar amount that I'm comfortable with losing. So something small, or if I do invest a considerable amount, I'm not going to be attached to it. So I'll cut my losses quickly if it doesn't pan out. So if I'm, you know, I'm going to put my put money into like a SPAC or, you know, something like that, as soon as, you know, <laughs> if it if it doesn't do well, then I'm, I'm, I don't want to hold on to it and just, you know, hope that it's going to perform well in the future. But but I'm in my 30s, so I have time to, to take chances. I echo all of that. I agree with that. Um, and it's interesting. A lot of people in the crypto space are in their 20s and 30s. They're young. Yeah. And so they have, yeah. they have the time to uh, speculate a little bit and try things out and uh, then make corrections later in their life if they need to. Right. One thing I will say, though, and tell me if, if I'm wrong or if there's a way to do your homework. But um, I feel like with stocks, I mean, there is a lot of faith, you know, with speculative plays where you have to take a leap of faith. But there are certain things you can research and do that um, helps minimize your risk. You know, if, if you're looking at, you know, how their revenues are growing or, you know, Get, getting to know the management or whatever it is. Are there things like that with cryptos on a spec coin, you know, that uh, that you can do to minimize those risks? Um, yes. Well, to some extent, yes. Um, okay. I mean, the, like the, the problem is a lot of the real speculative stuff are projects that are not live, that are not launched. And so it, it's hard to do too much research into knowing how well it's going to actually work um right it's more of like what, what do they call it? like a seed fund investment where you're basically just investing in some unproven product um but but you know you can still see are they running security audits that's a big one and who are they getting to run their security audits on their code 
Are they even testing out if their code is secure, right? Um, or who is um, investing in these projects, right? Because sometimes you have big exchanges or um, some big names in the cryptocurrency space uh, that are investing in these projects with their own money. And so then that gives you a better feel for do these does this project actually have connections that could make it work, right? So there's there's some research you can do and you should do, I think, if you're trying to speculate uh, in cryptocurrency because it's even more speculative than okay. any speculation that exists on the stock market, I think. Right, right. All right, Brian, so one more question for you then. So how do you feel about the decentralized financial system that Ethereum provides? Because that's one of the big uses for Ethereum right now is creating a financial system that anyone can, can can participate in. You don't need a bank. Everything is automated by computer code. So you don't need some companies with their oversight, their regulations, their profit. And uh, so does that make you more likely or less likely to participate in these kind of financial systems that are built or being built on Ethereum? Yeah, I think it sounds like it would create like a truly free market, which... I think I'm in favor of. I think when companies like governments, management get involved, there's a lot of manipulation. And if you're not one of those with the power, then it may not be in your best interest. So I'd rather have everybody on the same field. Um, I, but I'm sure there's certain situations where it might be good to have, you know, some kind of company oversight. But I would say that that is probably more the exception versus the the rule sure yeah and and in my experience too especially because of the nature of blockchain and app, these decentralized applications the the improvements that they make take a long time it takes a lot longer to um, create updates or initiate launches compared to some company that's running it companies can very quickly make correct mistakes they can very quickly right, right. Uh, change their direction versus these kind of financial systems. They're kind of set in stone, and so it has to be good from the beginning. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I kind of like the idea of, like you're saying, financial, uh, the, the fact that anybody can access these financial systems. Right? You're not, it doesn't matter about your crypto, your credit score. You can get a loan um, with uh, crypto. You have to have some kind of over collateralization to make up for it. But, you know, the, the fact that it right. is available to you. It's kind of nice, and it's a global thing that can, you know, connect the world. And so I, I kind of like the idea of it. I think right now, it, the uses for it are still not quite there. Um, yeah. But uh, but I could definitely see a potential in the future. Totally, and like we've talked about in the past, I mean, you think about crypto, like this is this is the beginning. You know, this is just like the beginning stages, and like. Who knows with different technology and different uses of just different stuff come out over the years, like we might just find something that, that oh, this is perfect for crypto or, you know, crypto is perfect for this situation. So, I mean, there's so much ground that has been, you know, made in the crypto world and it's only been, you know, a few years, it seems like. So I, I definitely see that continue to grow and expand and, and finding different uses for it. Absolutely. And and to me, Ethereum is the, the coin that really represents the future of, of cryptocurrency and the potential uses because of all that it can do, because of the applications that can come about. 
that take advantage of blockchain technology. And, and you know, Ethereum in the end may end up being like Internet Explorer, right? There, the, the, there may be better browsers that come along. There may be better, you know, like Google Chrome or uh, Mozilla right. Firefox down the road. There may be better um, systems than Ethereum that come out. Um, and maybe that's Ethereum 2.0 that is the better system. But uh, right. it's a starting point, and it, it, to me, it represents what the future could hold for us. I, I know I've said this several times, but you think about it, like, we always talk about how crypto is so confusing, and, like, we're learning, and, you know, so I'm, like, we are, we're exposed quite a bit, we talk about it quite a bit, but, you know, for the average person that's not super into it, you know, like, talking about it like we are, like, it can be really confusing, but at the same time, think about, like, the computer, you know, back in the day, like, it was so complicated though. Like geniuses were, you know, designing these things. And it was like, it was like, I had no idea. I remember like back in the, and, and this is only back in like the nineties, but like, you know, our brothers were like into computers and stuff. And I was just a young, young guy, but it was, it's just so complicated. And you look at it now and it's so much better. It's much more simple. You can use it a lot better. So, I mean, it's, it's going to improve. For sure. Well, on that note, Brian, I think we will call that a wrap. So thank you for listening to the Fool's Gold podcast. Uh, you can check us out on the socials on Twitter and Instagram at Fool's Gold. That's G-O-A-L-E-D. We'd love to connect with you on there. And Brian, until next time, I will talk to you later. All right. See you later, Ryan.